Amen. You can be seated. We're back in our Gospel Roots study this week, a study of our vision and values. And this week we're looking at the core value of commitment. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 28, if you want to follow along in in the Bibles and the chairs. I think that's on page 533 if I wrote that down right. But anyway, so commitment. It's about devotion or dedication of faithfulness to some person or activity. That's what commitment is about. It carries with it a sense of ongoing devotion. We can't say we're committed to something if we won't really stick with it, right? I mean, if there's not some longevity in our in our lifestyle, we can't say we're committed. For example, like in, in marriage, right? I mean, think about marriage. If if commitment in marriage was about the day you say I do, and then from then on everything just whatever goes goes. Well, that's not really a very good, that, that's not commitment. In fact, that's really kind of the opposite. Marriage, the, the, the commitment in marriage is not just about the day you say I do, but it's about saying I do every day after that, right? I mean, that's commitment in marriage. Well, the Christian life is really no different. Commitment in the Christian life is not just about us coming in commitment in the day of conversion. Well, all right, Jesus, you saved me. I'm so committed to you. And then the rest of the, our life is ours till he returns. And when he returns, then we just get it all right, you know, and then, then everything is made better. But it's from the moment of conversion to the day he returns, giving every day back to him, just giving it to him, letting him have it, letting him own it. And that's the kind of commitment that is being called for over and over and over in the Scripture. It's exactly what Jesus called his followers to when he said that those who persevere to the end will be saved. That's Matthew in Matthew 10. It's the kind of commitment that Paul encouraged believers to when he said, don't just run the race, run to win the crown. Run to finish. It's, it's not just about how you start, it's how you finish. Finishing or starting strong is easy. Finishing strong requires commitment. You see, it's how we finish that really matters more than how we start. Peter's first epistle was a plea to the early church. In spite of their suffering, they were a suffering group of people. They were dispersed. They were scattered all over the place because of the persecution they were dealing with. His first letter to the church was a plea to remain committed to a holy lifestyle. When Luke wrote of the birth of the church after Peter first preached the gospel, that Pentecost morning, when when everybody looks at these people who are proclaiming and prophesying the good works of God, and, and they're hearing it in languages that they all understand, and they're like, wow, what's going on? These guys must be drunk. Peter stands up and says, look, this isn't drunkenness. These people aren't drunk. This is God's power poured out on us. And then he preaches this gospel message, and they believed, and it says, it says, it comes to the end of the message we preached, and it says they were cut to the heart. What do we do? What do we do? This Jesus, the, the one that we thought was a, was a rebel, this Jesus we thought was a heretic, we crucified him, but now we find out he's the Messiah. What do we do? You see, they'd come to believe and they wanted to commit. They wanted to, to commit their whole life now to him. What do we do in response to this? And we saw their belief, their faith in Christ committed in four ways. When Luke spells it out, he says that they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the truth. That's the message of Christ. The the fellowship, that's one another. The breaking of bread, sacraments, and 
and to prayer. They, they committed their life to Christ and that broke itself out in commitment into an entire lifestyle, a whole new way, a whole new rhythm of life. That's the kind of commitment that is, is expected in all of the Christian life. You're not going to find the word. In, in most modern translations, you're not going to find the word commitment anywhere. But over and over and over and over, you're going to see it to be a trait that's expected. It's the expected norm for the, the Christian, for the believer, the one who has believed in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we find here in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 16. Let's read it. Read it together, if, we, if you will. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For who, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of a Man, for, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I just want you to think for just a second. I mean, if you heard that commercial on TV, I mean, how many of you are running to sign up? Come and die. I mean, imagine that. Come to me and die, and I'll give you life. Marketing professionals would be like, Jesus, we've got to do something about your message. We've got to fix it. You're talking to the wrong people. They want to know what's in it for them. They're consumers, Jesus. You need, to, you need to highlight the blessings. You need to highlight all the good things that are coming. You need to highlight all these, these things that you have to offer them. Don't talk about what it's going to cost. I mean, imagine, imagine, let's just think of the army. I mean, think of, think of the, the military. I, I signed up and went to the military. I went to the military when it was a time that you could be all you could be. And then they changed it at some point along the way to the army of one. Who's ever, that is ridiculous. The army of one. That didn't last very long. I don't know what it is now. I quit listening after that. But, I mean, just imagine, who would sign up for the Army if they didn't tell you all the benefits, college education, great opportunity for training and career, benefits beyond your, I mean, the best benefits in the world. They don't tell you that it's going to be difficult to use them, do they? They They don't highlight the fact that you're signing your life over to the U.S. government and no longer belongs to you. They don't highlight the fact that when you sign up to go into the army, what you're really signing up to be is a sponge for bullets. I mean, what if the posters the military used to sell itself and to to encourage people to come and join showed pictures of shell-shocked soldiers, say that ten times fast, hiding in a foxhole watching their buddies have their arms and legs blown off for losing their life. Nobody's promoting PTSD to get people to sign up to come to the military, are they? But you know, that's exactly the kind of thing Jesus is calling you to. 
Is there a great benefit? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Jesus did not call you to the benefit. He called you to himself. And brothers and sisters, what we need to know, what we need to know above all other things in this world, I think maybe what we need to know is that that comes at great cost. For the Christian, for the Christian, there is no acceptable substitute for primary commitment to Jesus Christ. There is not an acceptable substitute. There is not a better way. There is not some better plan. There is no opportunity other than Jesus Christ for life. But the world we live in doesn't see it that way. It's all about how good you can make a name for your, how big you can make your own name. It's all about how you can provide for yourself and prepare for your own future. It's all about what you can do for yourself. And so when we come preaching this message, the world doesn't get it. The reality is that even in ourselves, we don't get it. There's a part of you that will fight against this message. There's a part of you that that even as your heart and as your spirit know it's the truth, there is a part of you that will strive to continue to justify yourself, defend your actions, and present yourself approved. Listen, there is no one, there is nothing that can take his place. I mean, exactly what Jesus taught over and over and over in Matthew 10, 34 through 39, in a very similar teaching. But at a different point, he says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. He's not here to fix the world's problems. He says, I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his own father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, the idea is not that we get to walk around being jerks, right? Okay, I I just need we need to settle that right now. It's not like I can come up to you and say and and just blast you with how I really feel. I really feel good about you guys. You're my morning group. I I know you're here because you're the good ones. I get that. I just can't walk up to you and just treat you poorly just because, oh, well, hey, Jesus said we're going to be enemies, right? That's, That's not the intention of this message. But the intention of this message is that if we are so devoted to Jesus that it causes division between us and those who are not devoted to Jesus, we can be okay with that. In fact, we should be expecting it. If we are so committed to the way of Christ that it causes division between us and those of the world, then the reality is that is what he is doing. 
If the gospel is the source of your division, I'll just give you an example. I love my family. I love them dearly. Not my, I mean, I do love my, my immediate family, my wife, my sons. Uh, but I'm speaking of my brothers and sisters. Love them dearly. Long for them to know Jesus. Long for them to, give, to, to, to commit their life to Him. I, I long for it. I pray for it. But they don't have anything to do with me. In fact, it wasn't long ago, I was invited to a... Mom puts on a, a fourth Sunday lunch, and, and that's the only time uh, I'll actually see them. They don't call me. They don't go out of their way to, to look for me. I've reached out. And, and the reality is this. They don't want me. Not because of who I was but because of what Christ has made me. And here's the reality. I've got to learn to be okay with that. I've got to be okay not knowing when I'm invited to lunch at my brother's house. I don't even know where he lives. And I have to get directions because they didn't call us and tell us they moved. I've got to be okay with the fact that I find out that on Christmas morning, rather than getting to be able to be with my family, they have a separate function. I got to be okay with that. Not because I've been a jerk to them, but, but what Christ has done in me has so drastically and radically changed me that they want nothing to do with me. When Paul was dealing with the Corinthians, he, he, he comes to them. When Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, he comes to them and, and he says, look, look, he says this in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, what, what I mean is that each one of you says, he's talking to them about division, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Who's your favorite spiritual leader? Who do you hold up and, 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 and revere? If they're not pointing you to Jesus, you need to get rid of them. You need to set them aside. Is Christ divided? If they're calling you to themselves and, and saying, don't listen to this other dude that points you to Jesus, if, if they're just making a name for themselves, you need to set them aside. There is no one, no family member, no, 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 no son or daughter, no mother or father, no brother or sister, no religious leader that should take this preeminent place of commitment in your life. There is no substitute. Brothers and sisters, this is the commitment that we value. This is the commitment that we value because it's the commitment that Jesus put forth. Anyone or anything that we commit ourselves to instead of Jesus has become a little G God of our devotion and must be displaced, must be removed, must be set aside. We need to hear Jesus' call. We need to hear him saying, if anyone is going to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. He is calling for absolute commitment to himself. Back in August of 2010, Chuck Colson, he's died a couple of years later. He's, he's gone now. But he wrote an article in Christianity Today titled, The Lost Art of Commitment. 
subtitle, Why We're Afraid of It and Why We Shouldn't Be. The article opens this way. Let me just read to you. Listen closely. Certain characteristics are so inherent to Christianity that to neglect them is to become a walking oxymoron. A Christian without commitment is such an oxymoron. That's why I was so disturbed when a friend shared a statement from the presidential candidates at a Christian college. When asked, what has changed most in the past 20 years, the young people, among the young people who are entering college, all of these candidates said that young adults today are far less willing to commit to anything. On the whole, I think he's right. I think commitment is a trait that, that really is a non-negotiable for, for the Christian life. I, th- I think that it's an expectation. I think it's laid out clearly. And there does appear, from the outside looking in, there does appear to be a decreased desire to commit to anything. Now, just to put this in the frame, a frame of reference so we get this. When he wrote this, he was nearly 80 years old. So who he's calling younger generations probably fits the vast majority of this room, right? Talk to Stella at some point and ask her who she thinks is young. Just saying. See, on the whole, I, I think that the reality is our culture is going the way of this, this, this standoffishness or an appearance of standoffishness to commitment. And it's, impar- it's, it's apparent all over the place. It's apparent in churches just like ours. It's apparent in marriages and things like that. Now, I'll, I'll share that with you in just a minute. But let, me, let me just help you see. The younger, the, I can relate to this because I, I, I see it over and over. The younger a person is, it's, the more, it's more difficult to get that person to actually commit to become a member of the church. That doesn't just happen in our church. That happens in churches all over spring. That, that happens across America. They'll come, but they don't want to make a commitment to become a member. It's more difficult to get people to commit to long-term service in the church. This is just a pastor's reflections. I mean, case in point, when we went to two services to serve our children, to serve our families better so that we could really invest in their children, I heard two things. Aren't you asking an awful lot of us? To give up another hour of your week? Is that too much? What would a man give for his soul, I wonder? Well, isn't a year to commit to teaching kids an awfully long time? (laughs) Is it long enough? I mean, maybe that's a better question. Can our kids learn and fully learn to commit their life to Christ, to trust in Him so fully that they want to just give everything over to Him in a year? Maybe we ought to be committing to them to the rest of their lives. Is it enough? We commit less to to church attendance. This isn't just here. It's all over. I saw a report just a couple of weeks ago. A pastor tweeted about it. Pastors, and I'm guessing he had a small crowd that day and he was trying to help himself feel okay. But he referenced the report. He said, pastors feel okay. Most people only attend church every third week. So the statistics in this report demonstrated that, that we're on a three-week rotation. It used, to be, it used to be that when the doors were open, people were here. Now it is, on average, it's a three-week rotation. So I've got stuff to do every other 
every two weeks, and then on the third week, I'll, I'll show up at church. That's the, that's the t- statistic. If the statistic holds true, the reality is that there's some people in our church that are actually not here more than they're here. And I'm not just talking about in this room. I'm talking about just among the brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about just showing up on Sunday. I'm talking about the commitment to our family. See, I see it. I see what they're saying. But 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 listen, I, as I say that, I want you to know, I, I, I considered that last statement. I've learned something in this last week. I think I have. See, a couple of weeks ago, I would have, I, I would have, I would have agreed with his point completely, and not even thought twice about it. I would have, I would have fully agreed with those presidential, stu- those students who were who were entering into college. I would have totally agreed with them and said that the younger generations are are, are much less willing to commit to anything. I just would have agreed with it and, and gone on. But as I studied this, as as, as I prepared for this, I, I learned something. The Lord, I feel like, revealed something to me. See, I, I don't think it's that we're less willing to commit. I think we're all committing to all kinds of things. We're just not committing our life to Christ. And so, in fact, I, I think the question is not why we wouldn't commit or why we're afraid of commitment, but what are I think the question should be asked, what are we committing to? See, in our world today, we are very committed. We are very committed to our personal preference. In our world today, we are very committed to our personal agenda, our personal convenience, our personal and immediate, our our immediate personal need. You see, in today's culture, in the world we live today, and I think this has always been true, it's just very obvious today, I think the reality is we are very, very, very committed to ourselves. How does that even compare to what Christ has called us to? Listen, I'm not asking you to go and preach this message to the world. Brothers and sisters, you are Christians. Every one of you, as followers of Jesus Christ, he has called you to something very different. If anyone is to come after me, if anyone is to receive my blessing, if anyone is to gain this life. See, in our world today, we are very committed to ourselves. Chuck Colson goes on, whether we are talking about career, marriage, or faith, studies back the observation of these students. In 2008, more than half of the people ages 20 to 24 had been doing their or, or had been with their current employer for less than a year. Although the recession has dampened this somewhat, young adults are still floundering when it comes to embracing a calling. Marriage especially has suffered, according to the U.S. Census data. Young adults are marrying later than ever. A 2006 PBS documentary, Generation Next, gave some insight into why. Desire for adventure, career advancement, and prolonged adolescence. Lack of commitment is also hitting religion hard. Studies suggest that the iPod generation is choosing which aspects of the faith to adopt 
to create their own unique spiritual playlists. See, the reality is, from the outside looking in, it looks like they are less willing to commit. All of these things are true, but I think the why, I think the why is where it falls. They're not committing to these things because they're committing first to themselves. And the reality is, if we turn around and we say, if you just commit to these things, you'll find happiness. That too would be a lie. That's not enough. Commit to marriage. You'll be fulfilled. Maybe not. Commit to a career. You'll find satisfaction. Maybe not. You see, the idea is that we are called to find our satisfaction, our fulfillment, our hope and our joy in our commitment to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Him alone. No one else. Well, how do we do that? How do we commit ourselves completely to Jesus? Because really, at the end of the day, this is all that we need to know now, right? I mean, if this is our calling, if Jesus, if, if I'm right about the way I'm interpreting this, if, if I'm right about listening to those who have gone before for generations and generations, how in the world then do we commit? And that's the, that's the question that needs to be answered. Well, he gave us three things in verse 24. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself. Look, I, I think this is the 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 uh, belief and the humility and and the purpose, the identifying statement. Deny yourself. Jesus didn't come to su- supplement your life. He came to save it. You see, Jesus Jesus didn't come to help you boost you over the top because oh, you're almost there. You just about made it. You just need just a little help. No. Jesus did not come to supplement you. He came to save you. You and I, together, we are lost. We are sinful. We do not deserve. We can never earn. We can never make up for. We can't do anything that has to do with this at all on our own. He didn't come to supplement you in some way to make a name for yourself. He came to call you to think of yourself less and look on Him more. This is not about your kingdom. This is not about about making much of you. He did not come to supplement your life. He came to save it. Jesus didn't come to fulfill your dreams for this life. What are your dreams? You have dreams of making it big and kicking back and having it easy? Life on easy street. Jesus did not come to fulfill that dream. He did not come to fulfill your goals, but to call you to fulfillment in the life to come. You see, Jesus didn't come so that you could be insured a college education or so that you could be insured a six-figure salary or so that you could be insured a big, posh, fluffy house or a fancy, shiny car or a three-car garage with a boat in one side. He didn't come He didn't come so that you could fulfill some American dream or live up to some American ideal. He did not come for that. At all. But somehow... Somehow we've twisted it up. We've twisted it all around. 
And we've developed social gospels. Wow, if we just save the world, we'll save ourselves. You know, if we go out and fix all the problems of the world, we'll be okay. We'll look good. We'll make a name for ourselves. We make even the good things we do about us. Prosperity gospels, we've got this idea that if we just believe enough, if we just believe enough, we'll get all we want here. The reality is if you're, if you're given worldly goods, it may be a blessing and it may be a curse. We come up with self-righteous gospels that say if we just do enough good things, if we, if, we, if we commit ourselves to the right set of values, if we set up the right set of rules so that our lives look good, then we'll finally be worthy of his love. Those are all lies. Jesus did not come to fulfill those. You see the difference? You see the distinction? They're all about us. And he says, deny yourself. Can he bless us financially? Absolutely, and sometimes he does. Can we relieve some measure of the world's suffering? Yes, and I think we should. Can we strive to live in obedience? Yes, absolutely, we should. We're called to it. We're commanded, obey. But none of these things should be done in our own name, but should be done for Jesus' fame. There's a much different distinction there. If the root of your joy and satisfaction or the source of it is not about having more Jesus, then you need to hear Jesus' call to deny yourself because you have set something up as more satisfying, as more fulfilling, as more, more likely to give you joy. You need to hear his call, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Every Christ-shaped calling is a cross-shaped calling. Now, before you think, man, that's a really good line. I'm going to use that. You can. I'm okay with that. But I totally stole it from somebody. It was a book I read, and I just want want to give, give credit where credit's due. Andy, I don't remember his last name. Andy Crouch, Culture Making is the name of the book. Every Christ-shaped calling is a cross-shaped calling. Every ounce of what Jesus came to do and then called us to do is marked by sacrifice. There's not an ounce of this work that he did for us that wasn't sacrifice. Stepping out of heaven, sacrifice. The God who was creator, putting on flesh to live here, sacrifice. Coming to serve and not be served, sacrifice. Humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the one the one who never sinned, who did not deserve to die who had never been stained by original sin, who was completely pure, this one allowed himself to be killed so that we might live. Sacrifice. You know, it's really interesting. Death on a cross. The, the, the one who was innocent died in the, most, in the way of rebels and criminals in the most excruciating and humiliating fashion that they knew that day. There was no, no, no worse way to kill a man than to hang him on a cross. But Jesus did it. You know what these disciples here, they, they, at this point, they don't completely understand that, that Jesus has just told them, I'm going to die. Peter says, no, Jesus, don't. You're, you, he, he actually, the, it says, the scripture says that he rebuked Jesus. And Jesus says to, to Peter, Satan, get behind me. You have your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. So they understand he's going to die. 
They understand he's going to die. They don't know he's going to the cross. And what they hear is, hey, pick up your death and carry it with you. Don't just deny yourself. Kill yourself. I'm not calling you to suicide. We're not a cult that's going to drink a bunch of Kool-Aid and then die. That's not what we're called to. But we are called to deny ourselves to the extent that even if we face a literal death, we won't deny him. We won't choose something else. He doesn't call every person to martyrdom. He doesn't call most of us to martyrdom. He doesn't call every person to to pick up stakes and to to leave a a career and and, and to go across the world and give up everything they've ever owned and this, this life that they were building for themselves. He doesn't call every person to that, but he does call every person to live in such a way that you are no longer living for yourself, but you are living for him. So that when you wake up in the morning and you go to work, you are no longer going just to earn a paycheck, but to bring him glory. If you earn a paycheck, thank him for it. But the primary motive he calls you to is going to work for his glory. He's not calling you to to leave your family behind and desert them. In fact, I would suggest that the scriptures tell us different, that the very first place that this should be enacted is in your home. But if you're raising your children worried about what everybody on the block thinks about what you do and how you discipline and what they look like and how that makes you look, then you are not doing it with the right motive. He's calling you to parent your children for his fame. He's not telling you, he's not calling you to be worried first about their self-esteem. He's not calling you first to be concerned about what sports they play. He's not calling you to first be concerned about what kind of grades they make. He's calling you first and foremost to be so concerned with his glory that they hear you and see you living a life that denies yourself and draws glory to him. That's what he's calling you to. If you're, if you're putting your children up as the very center of your lives, you are doing them more harm than you can imagine. Die to that. Put that to death. Everything you do, everything you do is to be for his glory. And I'm going to tell you, there are times it is going to be difficult. In fact, if it's not difficult, it's probably not worthwhile. We always talk about, oh, I got so much peace in this, and it's just all the, all the obstacles are just, I don't have any, and it's just so easy. If there's not a cross in your calling, then it's not from Christ. And, and here's the other side of that. If you're not carrying a cross, then you're not following Christ. What's your cross? What sacrifices are you making? And then finally, the third thing he says is follow him, follow me. Our commitment to Christ will be revealed in our imitation of Christ. Our life will look like his. And he gave us some specific directions. He washed the disciples' feet. He said, what I've done for you, do for one another. Serve one another like I've served you. In the very same chapter in John, John chapter 13, he turns around and he says, love one another. In fact, he says, this is the mark. This is the mark that the whole world is going to know you're my disciples if you'll love one another. Everybody's going to know. 
When you have this kind of love for one another, everybody's going to know you're different. Something's, something's different about you. Love one another. Sacrificially, beneficially for another. And he also gave us specific instruction to make more one another's. Isn't that what he was about doing? Calling people to himself. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We'll actually study a little closer next week. Making disciples, making more one another's, bringing people into the family. If our life doesn't look like that, then we're likely following something different. If you can't pinpoint how you're serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you can't pinpoint how you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you can't pinpoint how you're a part of his mission, you might be following something else. You're probably following something. You're probably committing to something. But it's probably not Jesus Christ. Listen, as long as I'm your pastor, as long as I have breath to preach and people are showing up, this is the message I'm going to call you to. It's written into the very DNA of who we are. Because of the gospel, we worship and lead others to worship the one true God. And I'm not talking about gathering in a worship service an hour a week. What I'm trying to instill in you because it's what he's instilled in me, is a life of devotion, a life given in sacrifice, just like Paul calls us to in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give your life up for this in adoration of what he's done. But listen, I'm not calling you to do this until you've done something important. There's a key here that we have to be careful of. I need to warn you in. I'm not calling you to commit to the church, and I'm not calling you to commit to, to, the, to the Scripture, and I'm not calling you to commit to a service in the church until you are certain that you are committing to Christ. Listen, you. L- l- let me just give you this warning in closing. You can commit to the church, to a sacrificial life, and to self-denial without committing to Jesus. You probably won't commit to all three of those, but there's a lot of people who strive to commit to one. But when you have committed your life to Christ, you will find yourself committed to his message, to his mission, and to his people. Listen, I am going to call you every day from here on out for as long as you'll listen to follow Jesus. That's what I've always been doing. Go back and listen to my messages, and at the very heart of them is this idea that you give yourself up in adoration and love for the creator who chose to be your savior. That's the call. And that's the commitment that I value and I strive and I'm striving to call you to value as well. Let's pray.